Hey everybody, it's Russ and Maurice. Today's guest, Will Nitza, um, guy who makes consumer packaged goods uh, in a nerdy way, applying things like a math problem uh, to solve a lot of his issues. Energy in, revenue out was one of his formulas. What do you think, Maurice? <laughs> I, I think the, the energy in uh, and revenue out is an approach or a formula First of all, I haven't seen an actual formula for that. So that's something that we should have asked for. E-R something, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know, right? What's the, what's the equation? I need to see a equation, bro. And he kind of really zoomed in on that. It's the mm -hmm. competitiveness that drives a lot of the entrepreneurs. Yeah. That he, he called it a mix of competitiveness, arrogance, and not knowing better. Like, why, why am I the better person to do that, right? Mm -hmm. Or it's how how I phrase it. Why not me? Um, less than a less than a question than a um, than really a statement because I don't mm -hmm. want to hear the question, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, he had a he had a very nice intensity about him um, going about his business and how he built up his business and how he figured out really how to grow the business and how sometimes he. I don't think he did it on purpose, but how he really works with back to the wall and how that really yeah. gets him into overdrive, right? And um, I think there's a ton of good lessons for people that want to go in business and that are already in the business and just thinking about how to grow, right? Because Will is the first one that really produces stuff yeah, and have to go through the, all the tries and tribulation of getting the product done, literally getting it done right yeah uh, get it out the door yeah yeah get it out of the door he has a fascinating story about that and uh, you guys stay tuned watch it get your coffee your energy bar ready because you're going to need it all right here we go because really what could go wrong once you press record right <laughs> exactly what could go wrong <laughs> it's all going to be very perfect Welcome, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Crazy People Doing a Podcast, the Crazy People Podcast. Uh, I am enjoying a cup of our guests' uh, product. Mm. Are you? It is my uh, afternoon jam in the hot seat today, Will Nitza. Welcome, Will. Thanks for having me. You got the last name right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Will. Uh, thanks so, first of all, thanks for, for being on the show. Uh, it's, uh, it's a true pleasure having you on. Um, as we are starting, why don't you give uh, the audience a quick summary of who you are and what it is that you do, just just to settle the playground, kind of playing field kind. Yeah, sure. My name is Will Nitza. I live in Boston, Massachusetts, with my wife. I'm the founder and CEO of IQ Bar. We're a brain and body nutrition company, so we make plant protein bars called IQ Bars. Uh, we make enhanced hydration mixes called IQ Mix, and then we make an enhanced instant coffee called IQ Joe. So we have a, a whole platform of brain and body nutritionally optimized products that uh, hit throughout you know any given person's day. And we've been doing that for about, we've been in the marketplace just over five years now. Five years, nice. Sounds great. So... Tell us about your, give us a, a summary of your kind of like your orange story, because that's not how you started, right? You, your story doesn't start five years ago. Give us a summary. Are you born and raised in Boston or uh, how did you get there? 
Yeah, I'm uh, from New Jersey. I was born in Baltimore, but when I was a baby, moved to New Jersey, grew up in northern New Jersey, uh, was super obsessed with sports as a, as a kid, soccer in particular, um, and chess, got really into chess for a number of years there. I would play competitive chess tournaments uh, as, a, as a middle schooler, and then I went to school in boarding school in Western Massachusetts uh, for high school and got even more into soccer at that time. I wanted to be a college soccer player um, and was the captain of the varsity soccer team and um, but also really into academics. Um, didn't ultimately get to be a college soccer player. I mean, I was, was recruited. I got into Harvard and I was being recruited by a couple of D3 schools. So it was kind of like choosing between going to Harvard and not playing soccer and playing soccer in D at, at the D3 level. But uh, ultimately I went to Harvard undergrad. There was a year between high school and college. So I took a year off and lived in Cape Town, South Africa. And that was 2010. So that was during the World Cup, which was awesome. And really enjoyed that year. And then studied at college uh political science it's called government there but basically political science and psychology and neuroscience and i was really most most interested in the psychology and neuroscience piece so i became totally obsessed with that and then concurrently really obsessed with startups and and business um, startups were fully cool at that point and um we're getting more and more popular more and more early college grads were getting into entrepreneurship or joining startups. Um, so I totally got bitten by that bug at that point. Uh, but I couldn't really like reconcile those two things, my love for entrepreneurship and business and my love for psychology and neuroscience and the brain more broadly. And so, yeah, I took a job in software just sort of by default. I was selling and marketing operations and supply chain software to oil and gas companies right out of college. And got really good at Excel, PowerPoint, running meetings, pitching products, uh, quantitative analyses of the uh, all, all like the bedrock skills um, that are transferable to anything. But did not like the job, was not passionate about software, was not passionate about oil and gas. So, um, yeah, that was when I started um kicking around ideas of what i wanted to do for the next 30 40 50 years and what i what i kind of wondered is how does political science and neuroscience and psychology somehow fit together that how did that work out for you yeah i mean government is the major at harvard you take if you don't know what you want to do uh which i was <laughs> i was firmly in that camp okay because you kind of a lot of stuff applies to it and um so you can take like sociology courses poli sci courses statistics courses you can take a really wide range of stuff and it all qualifies you for that major and so it's kind of like the i don't want to know what i want to do with my life major and uh but i i found i took an intro course called science of living systems 20 which is an intro psychology course with um a guy named dan gilbert who's a now fairly well-known uh, professor of psychology and just like totally loved it. Um, and I found that my junior year and then I just took every possible course I could take 
on psych and neuroscience. And so, yeah, I don't know. I, I just sort of wanted to take as many things as I could. I knew I didn't want to be an engineer. I knew, knew I didn't want to be pre-med or pre-law or anything like that. So um, that's, yeah, you know, very much liberal arts. I, I don't learn a, I don't think a single usable skill in college. Um, <laughs> other than maybe writing. I wrote a lot. I read a lot and I wrote a lot. That's true, right? Digesting a lot of information in a brief time and really being able to just recite it one way or the other, right? That's, yeah, I can remember those days too. And uh, it's it's crazy. I, I I find the psychology and the neuroscience interesting because as a, as a marketing guy and a former army guy of the psychological operations, the, uh, I read... Uh, books of, uh, I think it was Chris Anderson, who really, uh, I hope I didn't smash his name, uh, who really went into the into the area of looking at, for example, with smoking, what kind of behavior triggers the smoking ads, right? What really happens when a person that is a smoker sees those ads and so on. So that was always something that I really found very interesting. So from that perspective, what drew you to that uh, subject? And did you have an application for, I mean, for for your business, for your marketing and uh, for your sales side? Or do you see, is it really like you just said, you didn't learn anything in college that you could apply? I mean, I would say like the primary value of college for me was just a network of people. You have so many smart people doing interesting stuff. And then you have what I think a lot of people frame as maybe toxic or negative uh, com comparison effects, but I actually like that and lean into that of, you know, you're subtly competing with all the people around you and comparing yourself to all the people around you and it levels you up over time. And um, so I would say that's probably the primary benefit of college for me. Exactly. Then you lead into the starter world right after. And when it became like kind of interesting for you, what kind of businesses were you looking at or products uh, were you looking at at that time? Well, so I, right out of school, I, I worked for this software company, um, but in my, I skipped, um, I that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In my, in my, well, it's kind of important though, actually, because, hmm. um, for a variety of reasons, number one, I think you have to get, good you have to build a bedrock of skills um or you should first before you get an entrepreneurship that's just my personal belief you should understand how a company works you should understand how what it's like to have a boss <laughs> even better what it's like to have a difficult boss you should understand how to run a meeting how to what like what does a typical sales cycle look like um all of those things and then also it's beneficial because you it's very for me it was very helpful to learn what i don't like it, it's often usually it's often the most useful learnings are are learning what you don't like or don't want to do or aren't passionate about and so you're then able to juxtapose that with uh yeah. the inverse of that what you do like so um i learned a lot in that regard um, but I also, it just sort of coincidentally, I got really interested in nutrition at that time because I felt like crap on a daily basis because I, I had a terrible diet. And so I became fascinated with the intersection of nutrition and cognition, basically the 
how the things you eat on a daily basis affect your brain today and then how the things you eat over the course of decades affect your your the state of your brain function of your brain you know when you're whatever 60 years old or or whatever so um and that of course tied in the whole brain thing which i was interested in from college yeah and then i read a couple of books that just got me totally fascinated um with that same intersection grain brain was a, a book that really got me interested in it and then this other book called mission in a bottle which was written by the guys who started honest tea and uh and so anyway the net net of all of those forces netted out to me saying okay i'm going to start a a food and or beverage company that was what i was going to do and by the way it helped that i could make it myself you know, it wasn't a rotary engine that I didn't know how to create or something. It was like, <laughs> yeah. I could feasibly formulate this whole thing tip to tail yeah. uh, myself. Like I could create a one person business. And so, yeah, I, I walked into my boss's office one day and I said, hey, I want to do my own thing. Um, what if I worked half time and you paid, you cut my salary in half? And ultimately he agreed to that and so i was able to survive for over a year um which also didn't start a sort of like a ticking time bomb of if you quit your job you're like all right i need to be able to be generating xyz result by abc date and oftentimes that's a, a bad outcome because stuff goes wrong timelines change blah 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 and then you're yeah. gonna force force something you're going to force a square peg into a round hole and it's just going to lead to a bad result so by buying myself time but also having enough money to survive i you know had a lengthy period of just like prototyping learning how do you incorporate a business should it be an llc should it be a c corp you know how do you get a trademark how do you um you know, spin up a website, you know, there's so many, I mean, I was starting from zero, like true zero on all fronts. I didn't even know anyone who had ever created a product before. Yeah. Um, so how did you, how did you learn all those skills that you had to learn? Because, you know, you're talking about uh, creating a company, um, then doing marketing stuff, doing product management stuff, but also actual creating the actual product those are a lot of different areas that you have to that come at you really fast um in the first in the first months and weeks and whatever how did you go about learning all those skills that it uh, took for you to get there i i did what is sort of my favorite way to learn anything go find someone who already did it and ask them how they did it <laughs> so basically i said okay well, let's go find a series of food and bev entrepreneurs that are like three years in let's say because if they're 10 years in it's not that useful they're too far removed you know if they're six months in it's too nascent to, to really learn so i found every food and bev entrepreneur in boston and i emailed texted facebook message whatever i got in touch with them somehow and got bought them a coffee and asked them 100 questions and all those things i just mentioned like i asked them i Yeah. Are you a C corporate LLC? How, like what gross margin did you aim for? How did you find your first manufacturer? How did you convince them to take you on? Yada, yada, yada. And so I just sort of was able to, after having 
10 of those conversations triangulate a path forward. You know, seven of the 10 said they were a C Corp and here's why. Okay, cool. We're going to be a C Corp. You know, eight of the 10 said gross margin should be in this range. Probably it should be in this range, you know. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, it was just like a painstaking sort of education. And then I had kind of a an initial roadmap. And then, I mean, I've done that like throughout the journey, by the way, I still do that all the yeah. time. Um, that never stops. But I, the only thing that does change is you start developing your own learnings and you get confident enough in your own abilities and you have your pattern recognition is strong enough at some point yourself to where you can start just making intuitive logical decisions and, and you lean on that less. Okay. Got it. Um, so where are you today with your company? Uh, so uh, we're, we're, we've gotten fairly sizable. I mean, we're, we're in about 10,000 locations. We have a large e-commerce business, Amazon and website and walmart.com and uh, Costco next, which is a subset of Costco.com. And mm -hmm. um, so we're pretty big online uh, and offline. And we have three product lines. We started with bars. And like I said earlier, we um, moved into hydration and coffee. And that 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 decision was a, a big one too, right? Do you really hammer home one form factor, one product line, or do you platformize? That's a there's tons of different schools of thought on a versus B mm -hmm. um, and platformizing, by the way, is the path taken less, it's more risky, but um, my opinion is better in a variety of ways. Um, so yeah, we're, we're really well penetrated into both online markets and offline markets for bars. And then we're just online uh, for now with hydration and coffee. Other than Wegmans, we're in um, Wegmans on the hydration side, but yeah, so the next couple of years, we'll be getting additional product lines out into wide distribution networks. Yeah. Yeah. I, I work with, a, a as, as one of the many things that I do, I work with uh, startup founders and sort of help them kind of find their way along. Um, and I've been reading a bunch of the stuff that you have written about sort of sometimes, as you've talked about, following the, the path that others kind of advise you, but then in, at key places, you know, choosing the path less, you know, less chosen, right? So. Um, but it also seems like you're you're passionate for the product and you're in it for the long haul. So you're not just trying to, it seems like anyway, you're not trying to build something that you're just trying to sell off to some other major brand. Um, so how does how does that idea of like, I'm going to go take a risk that I'm not sure is going to work out? How do you how do you make those kind of decisions and, and what do you go through to, to kind of get there? Just in terms of starting a business in the first place? Or uh, yeah, that and and along the way, why do you jump out of a perfectly good paying job to <laughs> to start your own thing, and then why do you make those decisions along the way that are like this is not what everybody's doing, but I'm going to go do that. Yeah, I think it's a variety of things. I like gambling, big gam big fan of gambling. Mm -hmm. Not even so much like casino gambling. Just I just like risk. It's fun for me. It's like I enjoy roller coasters. Like. Uh, I'd rather the thought of sort of slowly climbing a corporate ladder is like devastatingly depressing to me. I don't, I don't know how many people share that, that um, sort of emotional reaction, mm -hmm. but like for me, I'm like, I, 
I just cannot do that. I don't care if I would get rich doing that or yeah. great work life balance or whatever. I don't care. Like that, I I just very quickly learned that is not what I want to do. So I would rather take big, bigger risks and fail um than do that. So it, I did to me, it was like never a choice. It was just a question of when. Um okay. and what. And so once you frame it, the other thing too is just like the whole risk myth. It's it's not actually risky whatsoever, um, for me at least. So, you know, I didn't have kids uh, at the time I started the company. I, I don't still don't, but um, I didn't have some huge mountain of debt that I like had to go get become a doctor to pay it off or something, um, which fortunate that was the case um not not the case for everyone but yeah they're just based on the circumstances i was like my life's gonna suck you know i and it did for a long time i lived in like a basement random basement <laughs> and cut off so many social ties and you know my life sucked for years and years which but i'm like i'm weird like i don't i could sleep on the floor in a basement for three years if it meant I didn't have to do something for 10 hours a day that I hated like I, I that's just me though you know other people would would mm -hmm. would have the other uh would take a, a different path but I just never I never saw it as risky it, it was not I've done many hard things and struggled with many things that was never one of them taking the plunge do you do you think that is a that's a special trait that a entrepreneur needs to have, or a special trait that you have versus uh, people that take the nine to five and take the supposedly more secure route? Um, even though we all know it's not secure anymore, right? People get fired left and right, anyways. Um, so, what do you think? Is that a special trait that you need to have? I don't know how. I don't know. It's tricky because it's like you can only know what goes on in your own mind. But I guess uh, it, it's a trait. I don't know how special it is. It's, um, you know, there's a lot to be said for going and getting a job at whatever Facebook or something and you make a good salary and you go for hikes on the weekends. You're not working and you get a dog. And, yeah, you know, like there's that's there's something there's a lot to be said for that path. Um, I don't know. That just sounds miserable to me. Like, <laughs> so is that special? I don't think so. I, I don't know if it's special. That is what is happening in my brain, though. Yeah, I I, I like it a lot because for a lot of the profiles, a lot of the people that we're talking about, and a lot of the the stuff that Russ and I talk about off the air and wherever. It all goes in the same direction. Like there is an inner itch that has to be scratched just to get things done, solve a problem, figure something out and do something that seems to be a common trait that we see more and more. Russ, wouldn't you agree? Well, yeah. Yeah, there's, it seems to be that inner fire that you're just not going to be satisfied until you take that step and do that thing. And and some people, I think like, like you will, seem to have that over and over again. It's not just like, oh, I have to, We've we've had people on the podcast and we've we've worked with folks who are like, well, I can do this better. I think I can take an extra step, and they're not satisfied until they've taken that step. And then I think there's another level of that where it's like, I can do this better and take a step. And then you're like, 
I can figure that out too and take a step. And then I, I can, I don't want to do that other thing that I could have done. I can take another step, right? And just, you keep I, doing it. I like, um, I like backing myself into a corner. Oh, cool. Because it means I have to do something. You know what mm. I'm saying? Like, I, I don't like giving myself options to not do something. Like, it's not, you know, like, it's like, mm. and I think there's actually a lot of variables at play here. I think you have to have some irrational level of confidence too. like, how else would you be, and, and frankly, a little bit of arrogance? How, why, why else would you be the chosen one to make this thing come into existence? Mm. I mean, there's whatever it is, 8 billion people. Like, why are you the chosen one? Um, clearly this thing you're going to do has been thought about before. And then maybe it happened and failed. Maybe it never happened because it's a terrible idea, whatever. Like, why you? So you just have to think highly of yourself. Maybe that's narcissistic. Maybe it's just arrogance. Maybe it's just confidence. I don't really care or, or know the specifics, but there has to be that. And then you have to have a high pain tolerance. Like you have to, it's like, sounds trite, but you have to be a, a tough person. You have to be willing to have bad things happen a lot and not phase you you know not break down um and that's both true on the long term and then on the short term right so sometimes they're you're on the manufacturing floor something breaks down right then and there and you need to be cool under pressure in, in real time mm -hmm. so there's like that and over the long haul so a zillion other things go wrong and the hundredth thing broke down over the course of a year. Are you, is that when you're going to throw in the towel? Like, no, you can't. So it's, I think that like arrogance, the, the high pain tolerance. Um, and then just like, I think, yeah, that, that like, for me, it's just like the something to prove factor like and I think people different people get that from different places. Like for example, you might have been told you were stupid or you can't do something, or maybe someone slighted you in some way, or maybe someone got something you thought you deserved. Mm -hmm. It's like you have to have that core animalistic, like it's either jealousy, anger, um competitiveness. Yeah, you could just be insanely competitive. But I think that the root of that competitive is I that like arrogance like i should be doing that i should i'm better than this mm -hmm. um you need i think all of that otherwise it's, it makes no logical sense it's like why would someone put themselves through so much hardship mm -hmm. yeah for me always the question was like not not so much that i should be better and i should be absolutely doing it so why not me right it's the why shouldn't i do how how hard can it be right same as last words well, your answer to that might be you're not good. Like, I think if you say, why not me? Then, then you could probably logically answer that in 10 different ways. Well, not me because I didn't go to this school or I didn't do that. And then I think you have to answer that with like, it's like, why not me? Because I'm a badass. Here's why. You know, it's exactly. like. The other option was never, was never there. The why not me? Because I cannot do it. was That never happened, right? That's. There was not even an idea that I it couldn't be me to do that, right? So you talked about the 
sometimes you need to be backed in a corner and you kind of get yourself in that in those situations. Um, share with us, please, if you may, um, one of those situations where you felt like, I don't know how to get out of this, but I have to really sit down, roll up my sleeves to work myself out of it because otherwise it's going, it's going to get sideways quickly, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's been so... Again, I think of things in like, it's almost like fast twitch and short twitch, uh, short twitch and fast uh, twitch muscles. Um, it's like, there's there's immediate things. So I'll give you an, an immediate example. We had this massive CVS order. It was like, we had been producing 20,000 bars each time we produce, which was like, call it every three months for the first, say, six months of... Uh, of our existence. And then we got this big account. We got CBS, which is actually super strange for a startup to go into the drug channel early on, but whatever, that's a story for another day. Basically we net net, we were going to go from making 20,000 bars a day to 200, uh, not a day, uh, a production run to 200,000. So we're, the business 10 X with one customer and we had no idea how to produce it. And but they said, can you do this? And can you make it happen by this date? And we just said, yes, without knowing whether we could. So that that's like a classic example of you backed yourself into a corner. Like you just said, yes, you don't know if the answer is yes in, in actuality, but you need to make sure that it is in fact, yes. So then it was like, all right, we have to do this. What are the, way, what are the ways that don't violate the laws of physics to do this? And so we found a new contract manufacturer in an insanely quick amount of time, we got ingredients to them in an insanely quick amount of time. Um, and then our entire team got in a car and we drove out for the first production day when we were going to produce for CBS. It was going to be this huge celebratory moment. We mix the product, it gets on the slab lines, getting sliced up and uh, feeds into this machine called a flow wrapper, which is like a roll. It's like a roll of... Uh, you know, wrappers that slices it, seals it. Mm -hmm. And it all is going swimmingly. And we pick up a bar, taste it, tastes great, looks great. We're high-fiving. And then the guy comes by and he says, the, the plant manager, he's like, oh, uh, we have a problem. I was like, well, what do you mean we have a problem? He's like, yeah, well, you have a problem. Your, your wrappers aren't sealing properly. If a wrapper doesn't seal, it's going to go bad. Like, you mm -hmm. know, if there's no proper seal, it's going to spoil. Um, and we're like, well, how do we make it seal? And we tried everything. We tried to increase the pressure, blah, blah, blah. The, basically, the adhesiveness of the wrapper was not sufficient. Yeah. And we're like, holy shit. Uh, like, they, we're going to go, like, the company's done. We, we mm -hmm. were dead before we even started. And uh, we're not going to make the, the delivery day for CVS. We have all this product that costs tens of thousands of dollars. It's just going to spoil. And yeah, that was like that sort of fast twitch like situation of like, how do you, how do you react to that in some way in like the best possible way? And uh, so anyway, we called 20 different wrapper suppliers. We finally found one who could turn it our wrappers around in a week, rush ship them, produce the week later. Everything sealed fine. Got it on a truck. Got it on trucks. Fulfilled the order. 
cost us some, I, I think it was like 30 grand or something, which at the time was massive. Um, but we got out alive, fulfilled the order and we were, we were on our way. So that, that's like an example of like a crazy story. And I have 10 other stories just like that. Um, and then just like on the long, on the longer end of the spectrum, I mean, we've been in cases where it's like, we are going to run out of money in six months and the market sucks. You know, it's like capital markets are not open. Uh, venture funding is not flowing, like yada, yada. And that's more of like a, oh shit, what do I do over the six months to make this happen? And it's just like a lower grade stress, but it's just constant stress. Um, you know, but I don't I kind of deal with it the same way. Just let in a less urgent manner and you call every possible person you um pull out all the stops and we're still alive so is there a way that you can say because we we have a in the unbelievable amount of um, listeners that we have and viewers that we have there is some of them that are rather new to business is there a way of of that feeling getting better or is it just as the company grows the problems just get bigger so something that would have totally stressed you four years ago is now come on i i know how to solve this but now you you face issues challenges at a at a at a grade and a, and a, and a um, size of it where you say like <laughs> it's good that i have went through these hard lessons the past four years because otherwise i would have a heart attack right now Yeah, there's a great Greg LeMond quote. Greg LeMond was a cyclist uh, who won the Tour de France. And he has like my favorite quote of all time is it never gets easier. You just go faster. So it's like once you get to a certain level of physical stamina, you just go faster. And then it's just as hard as it was before. Yeah, um, that's how I think about entrepreneurship. It never actually gets easier. You're just going faster. And uh, so, yeah, to your point, you're dealing with just bigger problems or different problems. There's always a next thing that you don't know. Um, and by the way, people, very few people can scale forever, right? The person who starts the thing and can take it from zero to a million is rarely that person who can take it from one to 10 and is rarely who can take it from 10 to 20, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um but you kind of need to you as the founder and entrepreneur kind of have to be that person. i mean you don't have to you can sell your business you can hire a ceo whatever but all those things are expensive in all senses of the word but um really you have you have to be that rare person who can scale all those things and then have to recognize the people around you who of those people can scale um to you know from a to b to c to d to e and making tough decisions about sometimes you have it's not a fit with people sometimes you have to hire new people sometimes whatever maybe covid hits and now the entire chessboard was just shaken up yeah um so um it's not easier it's not easier and by the way if you have to keep like the whole model of a startup Is, is rapid growth. That is the definition of a startup. Otherwise, it's just a business. 
So it doesn't matter what you did last year. You have to do more this year. And it's it's like you're always a little bit behind the eight ball. And so by definition, you're doing new stuff every year. Like for us, we we were not sold in the club channel, club being like Costco, Walmart, uh, Costco, Sam's Club, BJ's, et cetera. Um, like we didn't know that channel well until late last year, early this year. And now it's like this massive channel for us, but it was a such, it was a super steep learning curve. Um, yeah. We had no idea. We, we knew what to do in grocery. We knew what to do on Amazon. We had no idea what to do in club. So gotta, gotta learn that new thing. Um, and then next year it'll be international or what, whatever, but it, it, there's always something new. Yeah. I was just about to ask uh, what is internationally happening. Um, Cause I'm based out of Germany. And I know products like yours would flourish quite well over here. Our whole metric we optimize for is energy and revenue out. That's like the guiding principle of everything we do. Mm -hmm. What is the energy and revenue out ratio? And the international has a very bad energy and revenue out ratio. Um, so you're going to just spend a ton of time and have a ton of headaches and blah, blah, blah. You're, you can get really good revenue, but it's like, if that ratio isn't right, and of course you're comparing that, that has an opportunity cost. You could have spent all that time getting XYZ new retailer in, in the US that if that has a better energy or in revenue out ratio, you're kind of silly for, for not doing that. So, um, I mean, it's just such a massive, like, even you look at Hershey, which I think is still at like an all-time high, their stock, I think something like 85 or 90% of Hershey's revenue is in the US. It's domestic. And so they, even, even at that scale, they were like doing that calculus of energy and revenue out and, and they stayed, you know, domestic. So it, it's always like kind of titillating and like, oh, this would be, it would be cool to be more international. And you have to like stop yourself um and just be more disciplined be more focused which is hard as an entrepreneur right entrepreneurs want to do everything at once because it's we're easily excited um which by the way is a good reason to have people telling you to stop or you need like my wife works in the business and she's like the person who's like stop like we're not doing that i'm like yeah okay you're right. <laughs> but wait, but it's, it's funny. Go ahead, go ahead, bro. I was gonna say I'm 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 curious because I'm I'm a bit of a nerd, right? From the from the technical side. I, I think the story of the business is really compelling from a business standpoint, right? You you invented stuff and, and came out of nowhere and, and built a, a business and you're expanding. But I'm I'm thinking about it on the technical side because I I like I said, I'm at the beginning, I'm a customer. I, I love the product. So how do you make sure that you're delivering a product that actually does what you say it does? And, and that how do you how do you deliver on the technical promise that, you know, the science behind that? Because um, you said back at the beginning that you were really fascinated by the neuroscience and, and that kind of stuff. So how do you how do you turn that into a into a real business? Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you how I did it. I don't know if this is the way to do it. Mm -hmm. I. And then, by the way, I think it's useful to be an outsider, quote unquote. Like, okay. if you work, if I went and work for General Mills or Kellogg's or Nestle or whatever, 
you're just gonna always have the bias of how they do things, how they create products, how they look at market data, how they test products, et cetera. So I, I actually think it's useful to have none of that because all of that is terrible in a startup context. This is why big companies can't innovate. That's yeah. been proven mm -hmm. time and time and time and time again. So they're just not good at zero to one. So, okay, if that's not a model, like you just have to use first principles to do what, you know, makes the most logical sense for you. So for me, that was, okay, uh, I have this idea to make a functional food that's for the brain. If you look at the market, there's all these body-centric products, so weight loss, protein for muscle growth, um, digestion promoting, whatever it is, it's all body, 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 and there's zero in the brain world. Now, you might say, well, there's zero because no one wants anything there that's that's not the market has spoken and they've said we don't want this that's one interpretation of the, the data or lack of mm -hmm. data another interpretation is it's either never been done which is highly unlikely but more likely it's been done and someone just didn't do it well yeah and my guess was that was the case um and sometimes by the way trends and moments and timing just weren't right. And now the timing's right. Well, now all of a sudden people care more about the brain or whatever. Like that's, of course, super important too. Mm -hmm. um, but basically you're starting from a point of no data, which is a good and bad thing. It's a good thing because um, other people aren't going to try it because it's not a no brainer of an idea. It's a bad thing because there's no data. You don't know what's going to happen. So we, so I basically said, um, you know, what are the, all the compounds that have been shown to be good for your brain for a variety of reasons? Could be, helps you grow new neurons, could be, reduces inflammation in the brain. It could be, it helps with focus and memory, whatever. It's, it's good for the brain for some reason. And there's a whole, there's a whole list that are heavily clinically studied. So vitamin E and flavonoids and omega-3s and et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And so, okay, that, and and I, I did all this just in a spreadsheet. So it, like food, just like many physical products are, no, are nothing more than a math problem. So you can kind of figure it out the way you would solve any math problem. So, okay, these are the things. Okay, what are the whole food ingredients that are richest in these things? So for vitamin E, that might be almonds or sunflower seeds so for flavonoids that may, might be cocoa beans or matcha in the leaf category or blueberries in the berry category so on and so forth and then you get all this list of stuff and then you're like okay can i make a product out of all that stuff um so yeah i mean it was just a it was it was a kind of just like a quantitative uh math problem and then and then and then brute iteration just thousands of iterations mm -hmm. um trial and error like i i i had i think i did a post on linkedin like months back where i was just i think i said something to the effect of trial and error is still the best strategy in business <laughs> in my opinion uh doesn't matter you know ai is great and machine learning is great and whatever's great I still believe trial and error is the best strategy. So especially in the absence of data, because AI is useless without data. Machine mm -hmm. learning is useless without data. 
Well, guess what? Every time you make a new product, there's no data. That's the whole point. You're innovating. Yeah. So, okay, you can't use all that. What's 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 next best? Trial and error. Um, and then you get data, and you know, of course, you should act on the data you gather, but that's not going to help you at the outset. Awesome. Okay. I love that. Love that story. Yeah, it's re it's really fantastic. And uh, yeah, I have I have a neighbor who is uh, he's doing uh, he's probably he's doing something similar to you, just a different market. He's doing it for animals, and he essentially oh we had him on a show actually, mm -hmm. stuff, right? Um, and he essentially did a lot of that same progression and the same approach for just animal products, right? And he recently told me the same thing. It's like, you got just got to test it, right? If if you put it in, you can have all the data that you want. If you put it in front of a dog's nose, is the dog going to eat it? Yes or no, right? Uh -huh. If you have a data, it doesn't matter, right? If you put it in front of a dog, does the dog eat it? Yes or no? And that's the trial and error approach that you have, right? All the big data and whatever, supposed nutrition and what have not, it's not going to work if the dog doesn't eat the food, right? So... Yeah, I, I really, I really love that. With all that you know now, with all the experience that you have now, going back to your 16-year-old self, what would be the advice that you give young world? Well, a lot of it, what I would say is not that interesting because it's kind of cliche, but they're cliches for a reason. The whole idea of don't care what other people think uh, about you is really like just such a massive unlock. But Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll try to give a few that are less cliche. So one would be people often get caught up in what's sexy, what 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 are and what's trending. So it was cryptocurrency, and then it was Web three, and then now it's AI, and then there'll be some other thing. And it. Like people who try to hop, trend hop never win. Mm -hmm. They never win. Because by the way, millions of other people are trying to do the same thing. So any advantages are going to be competed away. And all of the winners were already there years before it became a trend in the first place. So you're already too late. And so just avoid trend hopping. Um, that should be distinguished from a separate piece of advice, which is pay a lot of attention to trends and ride trends. Just don't hop onto them and marry yourself to them. Um, be sort of trend agnostic such that you can benefit from trends, but you're not, once the trend goes away, you're not screwed. So I'll give you an example for us, like keto. Keto is this big diet, got super popular in the US. And it was massively helpful for us. We, we, you know, grew hundreds of percent as a business because of that. And then keto kind of plateaued and is declining now. But we never, we didn't frame ourselves or marry ourselves to that trend. We just figured out a way to ride that trend and then pivot away as that trend went away. And now low sugar is rising and then just micro pivot into that. And you're, you're kind of constantly micro pivoting and benefiting from trends, but you're not hopping on and getting married to trends. Second thing I would say is um, go where smart people are not going. 
which is maybe an offensive thing to say, but it's just, I don't know how else to say it. Um, like, don't go, if all the smartest people are going into banking, don't go into banking. Yeah. You're not, you're never going to be the smartest of that cohort of people. And so you're just going to either objectively lose or lose relative to them. You're never going to beat them. Maybe you don't care about beating them, but I care about beating people. So yeah, I want to be better, whatever that means. Um, And so I just like kind of looked at everyone, everyone I know, my friends were going in banking, consulting and this and that. I'm like, am I going to be the best banker or consultant? Like, no, I'm just not. And so basically I was like, the only way to win is to play an entirely different game. Like the game you choose, I had another post on this. People focus on incremental improvement within the game, right? Look at all the advice people give. They say, yeah, you know, work hard and just get better tomorrow than you were yesterday and this and that. That's all intra game advice. That's not inter-game advice. You you might have just picked the wrong game. Yeah. So you can get better within that game, but it's the wrong game. You were screwed from day one. doesn't matter how good you get in. Had you chosen an entirely separate game, you would have been 10x where you are now. By the way, doing the same stuff you were doing in that game. So I just think the game you choose is so important. And don't choose games you can't win. Um, and by the way, oftentimes the games that are the best long-term choice for you and your skill set and your interests look terrible. They're really boring. Other people think they're boring or they're not sexy. No one's writing headlines about them. Um, and you might not make no money or have no success for like three, four, five years in that game. Everyone will think you're silly for being in that game that's the best game to be in because it's so non-competitive yeah and so i just like game selection is just is like might be the single most important possible thing you ever do in your career all right well that was an absolute pleasure and i think um a really deep insight into How do you, because we never, Russ, have, do we have anybody that uh, besides uh, Christopher I just mentioned that really produces anything? No, right? No, lots of software people and, and stuff, but yeah, the, the actual having a product you can consume, uh, <laughs> not, not so often, yeah. That is fantastic. Well, it was an absolute pleasure having you on the show. So many fantastic insights. Yeah, thanks for having me. Those are good questions. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Will. Great stuff, man. Have a good rest of your day. You too. Take care, guys. Take it easy. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye.